spirit of the saints of God, fall afresh on us. Melt us, mold us, fill us, free us. Spirit of the saints of God, fall afresh on us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Happy All Saints Day, y'all. Special Happy All Saints to those being confirmed and received. We're glad you're here. There's one saint from your community here at Chapel of the Cross who we lost this year, who is on my heart today, Hodding Carter. I first met Hodding at one of the walkabouts at Duke Divinity School and got to know him well over the last five plus years. After our presentations, he introduced himself to me and offered an observation. He said, you were each putting yourselves forward, and it seemed like you were making a lot of promises. Do you know what was missing from your presentations? No, I said. What was missing? Humility, he said. (laughs) It was an invitation to me that I continue to carry to this day. Humility isn't listed in the Beatitudes unless you think of meekness as humility, and they are related. But I love the Beatitudes, and I've always been drawn to the beauty of their poetry, the depth of their spirituality, and the wisdom of their teaching. So when I was serving as rector of St. Michael's in Milton and teaching the confirmation class, Matthew's version of the Beatitudes was one of the passages from Scripture which we gave our students the opportunity to memorize. They could also choose a selection from our prayer book. The other options included the Apostles' Creed, the 23rd Psalm, the Ten Commandments, and the prayer of St. Francis. Do you know that in all the years I led confirmation class, not one person ever chose to memorize the Beatitudes? I was surprised and not a little disappointed. This stunning and provocative passage that some would argue is one of the high points of Jesus' teaching was never chosen. Maybe we should have gone with Luke's version. It's shorter. But whichever version we use, we can hear the tenderness in the words, and we can imagine the comforting sound of Jesus' voice speaking them to us, reminding us of God's presence and deep abiding love for us, especially in times when we feel vulnerable or when we are in a place of need. But today, I'm also drawn to point out what we might call the, cultural, the countercultural dimension of Jesus' teaching here. At the heart of this passage is actually a subversive construct that in some way sets the tone for the entire arc of Jesus' ministry. Jesus is making a bold proclamation that all the signs of powerlessness and brokenness are actually channels of grace 
evidence of God's radical, abundant love. Poor in spirit, or the poor, as Luke has it. Meek, merciful, grieving, pure of heart, peacemaking, and especially those who endure persecution. None of these were associated with values and virtues that were celebrated in Jesus' time. We forget this because the poetry and the promise of these teachings has permeated our consciousness. But in Jesus' time, this was actually crazy talk. In Jesus' day, the common understanding was that the blessed were the mighty, the powerful, those who had obtained some standing, and who more often than not used their standing to dominate others. The culture of Jesus' time believed the blessed were those who were not only strong in spirit, but who were wealthy and well-positioned. In Jesus' time, grief, persecution, and suffering were signs of God's disfavor and thought to be the consequence of someone's sinful behavior. So Jesus' words calling people who were meek or grieving or suffering blessed This was not only unexpected, it was unsettling. He was taking the construct of how people understood their place and position and turning it upside down. In Jesus' time, the Beatitudes were like a countercultural manifesto, which brings us to a question, what are the Beatitudes for us today? Are these the values and virtues of our own day? Or, as in Jesus' time, is the cultural norm a more aggressive and assertive attitude or posture? There's a particular beatitude that has been speaking to me again these last couple of weeks. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Aren't we all children of God? Does that mean we are all invited to be peacemakers? And this is a question we've been asking ourselves, especially these last couple of weeks. As the Middle East has been drawn into a deeper kind of turmoil and violence, And then the ongoing mass shootings, including the largest one of this year in Lewiston, Maine, where I attended college as an undergraduate. For the Middle East, we've been trying to respond by watching and praying and advocating for fair and humane treatment of all the non-combatants and for a quarter of humanitarian aid into Gaza and for efforts to de-escalate the tension and the retaliation as it continues to harm people who have no association with Hamas. At the same time, we must be vigilant in our commitment to call out and denounce any form of anti-Semitism. Around the mass shootings, we've been putting 
energy and focus into calling for a change in our gun safety laws and to demand better accountability around those who own or have access to automatic weapons. Of course, there are many committed Christians here in North Carolina who are not in favor of working to change current gun policy. But there is some good news. There's more than one way to be a peacemaker at this critical moment in our history. You may feel the best way you can help reverse the epidemic of violence is to work on ways to strengthen support for those who may struggle with mental illness or those with other complicated diagnoses that can be isolating and even lead to antisocial behavior. This is another way to respond to the crisis of mass shootings and to be a peacemaker. Or maybe you feel called to focus on our schools and to change the culture there. As so many of these shootings have happened in our schools or on campuses, as you all experienced here in Chapel Hill recently. I read an inspiring article a few years back that came to mind again this week. It's about a teacher in a middle school who every Friday asks her students to write down on a piece of paper the names of four students they would like to sit with the following week. The children know the request may or may not be honored. She also asks the students to nominate one classmate who they believe has been an exceptional classroom citizen that week. All the ballots are privately submitted to her. And then every Friday afternoon, after the students go home, she takes out those slips of paper, places them in front of her on her desk, and studies them. She's looking for patterns. The teacher is not looking for a new seating chart or exceptional students. She's looking for lonely children, for children who are struggling to connect with other children. She's identifying students who are falling through the cracks of the school's fragile social fabric. She's discovering whose gifts are going unnoticed by their peers and who is getting bullied or who may be bullying. The author writes, It's like she's taking an x-ray of a classroom to see beneath the surface of things and into the hearts of her students. And she's looking for the child who needs a little help. Students who may need an adult to step in and teach them how to make friends, how to join a group, or how to share their gifts. The interview asked the teacher, when did you start this practice? Right after Columbine, she said. So every Friday, week in and week out, she scans for the outcast, the misfit, the lost sheep. And every week, she finds a way to help them to connect, to make space for them, to bring them in, building community for every member of her class, creating a safer space for every one of these, God's children. Blessed are the peacemakers.
And blessed are those who show us that there is more than one way to make peace, more than one way to approach a crisis, more than one solution to a complicated problem. All of these approaches, gun policy changes, mental health support, creating safer, healthier classroom space, all are part of a response and part of a solution. All of them are ways of taking action. And all of them will be necessary to stop this epidemic, to change our culture of violence, to live into the values and virtues of the Beatitudes. And we don't each have to do all these things. We can simply pick one and put our whole heart into that work. This is at the center of the truth of the gift of the Beatitudes. We are not individually all these things, but together we are becoming these things. We are becoming beloved, blessed community. And this is the witness of the communion of saints that we celebrate on All Saints Sunday. Most saints did not embody all the Christian virtues. Most of them embodied one in a way that helped us to see it more clearly. And because of their witness, maybe to believe that we too might live that virtue ourselves. The Beatitudes are not just a countercultural manifesto. They're also an invitation to deep Christian formation. This is why they belong as part of any celebration of confirmation. These words have the power to shape and form our lives, ourselves, our souls, ourselves, our spirits, our character, and our hearts. Blessed are we when we open our hearts to the power of the Beatitudes to shape and direct our lives and to invite each of us to take action. Lord, make us instruments of your virtue. Make us makers of your peace. Amen. The Chapel of the Cross is an Episcopal church in the heart of Chapel Hill and the university community. Find out more at thechapelofthecross.org. There you can find our latest news and events, connect with our pastoral care team, Faith in Action Ministries, and offer a prayer request. You can also find us on social media, on Instagram at thechapelofthecross, and on Facebook and Twitter at C-O-T-C, Chapel Hill. May you be nourished by the word to serve in the world.